happy Primo March. So, first of March, playtime is over. Yes. It's time to get back to it. Thank you for downloading. My name is Jason. Ashley is sitting right next to me. Ciao. Chicha the cat is right there. Meow, Chicha. <laughs> she did it on command. We're He's sitting. <laughs> we're sitting here in the sala of La Tavola Marque, an agriturismo cooking school in the Candeliano Valley. It is the first of March. Woo! Lots to do, lots to talk about, and uh, it's late, nine thirty-eight in the morning. It is a crappy, beautiful first of March. Two degrees, one degree, sleet. Coming on outside, uh, real wet, real cold, real crappy. I love it. We need the rain and the snow or whatever we get, so it's good. And I just love this kind of crappy weather, so I'm feeling it. Rather have it now than later. We're trying to stick to a little plan of doing these podcasts a little more often. Uh, and we are, right? We're talking to it. We're so doing we, it. we don't have to tell you. We just do it. Exactly. All right. Let's start it off. Um this is the end of the dog days of winter carnivales over. We are now into the time where it's starting to get prepped for the garden, the new season of guests, the earth awakening. It's all happening. Start the painting and all of that. It all fun. happens primo marzo. So uh, those those plans are well underway. Um, we won't talk about the pigs because it's just too it, – we should have the – we're ready for them. It's just as soon as it stops pouring raining outside. I don't really want to transport pigs in the pouring rain do you nope all right so we'll wait until a day where it's not so crappy outside and bring over our little pigs i guarantee you as soon as they set foot in this on this property there will be a shit ton of pictures and what what? so don't worry you will absolutely know the moment (laughs) these two pigs get here i can't wait i'm sick of taking pictures of freaking tomatoes and stuff so um and pasta. I'm excited for the pigs and hopefully one day shortly after a donkey. But, yeah, you'll know. Starting late this morning because dogs are walked, chickens are fed, cats are doing their thing. And it's I don't really feel like cleaning the bathroom or any of the inside jobs that were written down. So I procrastinated and said, I know this is a way to get out of work. So let's heat up the microphones. We're putting in a um, symbol like a rainy day recess is what I call this kind of weather. Um little project for Jason today is taking out the fridges. We're replacing all of the old refrigerators in the guest rooms. They're not necessarily broken. They just... <coughs> they are broken in the fact that when you turn them on, they immediately freeze. So oh. that means that they're... I mean, yes, it is cold in there, but no, it, they freeze up and it's just a mess and they're not energy efficient and... Try to do a little something every year in this house so it doesn't... So you can't really tell how it's falling apart. Kind Slowly of. falling apart. So new fridges, shower heads, some things like that. Yeah, new uh, new faucets in the in the um, bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Lipstick on a pig. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the secrets of an innkeeper. <laughs> Don't look close. Don't look close. <laughs> well, since there hasn't been a whole lot going on. Um, Well, we've been doing our archery classes, which we've had, I think, three so far, which has been great. The first half, like promised, stretching. Lots of stretching. It's all about form. I like it. It's us and another woman, a doctoressa. Her husband makes um, antique style. I don't know what the difference is necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yet. (laughs) uh, He makes antique 
expose by hand. I, by yeah. hand, but we don't know. Is that all he does? Like, how do you support yourself just as a antique bow maker? He's nah, gonna make other things does, like furniture yeah, yeah. or boats or I have no idea. Um, but they give her a hard time because they're like, finally, you're you know your husband's been making bows for all these years, and you're just now learning to um, to. Sh- shoot a bow and arrow so um but it's been good because it gets us out of the house at night which i know that sounds crazy and these classes sound... don't start till 9 30 at no, night nine o'clock nine o'clock. it oh, feels sorry. like 9 30 it is 9 30 because we show up at nine and no and everyone starts trickling in at 20 after yeah that last time okay. was terrible okay but um <laughs> and then it goes to like 10 30 11 and it's about an hour drive home this is late stuff for us on a winter especially because it gets dark so early and like jason said on account of the wolves we don't go out at night we've got to become such like homebodies in the winter especially in the summer it's different because it's like you know till nine to exactly. ten o'clock at night that to be out late later into the evening isn't a big deal but now it feels like oh my god I know. party animals i know we're like who what are we doing might as well go to a rave <laughs> Rave party. We're up all night. But the um with having there not be a whole lot going on, it's like the stupid watching the stupid Netflix movies or stuff at night. And we started getting into a little bit of the Formula One series on Netflix. Not because I really even care about Formula One, but it's just such a huge part of the culture here. Gaji talks about it like it is yeah, it's, a big it's deal. It's Calcio, Formula One, and Moto, like the motorsports, the motor GPs. And um, you got to be able to know – it's like not knowing who Michael Jordan is exactly. for basketball kind of or thing. Or Tom Brady. Yeah, you, you just know? have to be able to know these names. And uh-huh. I don't know any of the names. I really don't care about Formula One. But there's this Netflix documentary show, kind of show and it's it's – it's fine. It's entertaining. Anyway, that's not the main part that we no. want to talk about. <laughs> the part that I found hysterical is every time they show the team. Multiple episodes. Multiple episodes. Anytime they show the Ferrari team in, like, the pits, the, the mechanics and the, the pit guys and all that, they're always doing stretches. <laughs> they use the same they use red the- bands that we use at archery because they always say at the class you know you have to have scalda bene like you gotta get warmed up good and warm your muscles and all of the stretches they're doing at the formula one thing is exactly what we're doing and their neck rolling and those stretching the arms it's just hilarious and i wonder if the editors and whatever if they know how funny it is and that's why they keep putting it in or if it just caught them like why are the italians the only ones stretching all the time but i the timing was perfect we were just cracking up whenever we see it so nick if you watch the series keep an eye out for keep an eye out for the ferrari team <laughs> doing a lot of stretching yes uh all their netflix i don't know why we're pushing netflix no crap. this is prime uh the clarkson's farm if you haven't checked out the first season i would recommend the first season jeremy clarkson from top gear uh you might not have heard of him or know of him he's you posted the biggest show in the entire world absolutely for 20 years and um he now um again didn't like cars but i loved this show this should, yeah top gear is great you should even if you don't like cars anyway um super rich guy bought a farm i guess and it's his fish out of water story the first one was really good this really good because um not all i mean of course in over the top kind of television and jeremy clarkson 
style, like buying huge machinery and some yeah, of that. Yeah, but that which you is have both, to do for a farm. That's what I'm saying. Okay. But also, oh, but you also have to do it for a TV show where it's over the top big mm-hmm. and some of that where they make fun of him for making the wrong purchases. And there was a great deal of it of um, kind of the fumbling through of trying to learn how to mend a fence and all of these things and realizing how much goes into little everyday parts that you don't even think about where it's like, I've got the tractor, I'm a farmer. It's like, no, 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 so much more goes into it. And the very last part of that first season, um, they take a real uh, honest look at the numbers and the subsidies that you would get in the EU or in um, the UK and as a farmer and what that means to the farmer and what they could grow and how much they can actually make. And at the end of the day, I think he made... He broke even and then you get that, the subsidies. Yes. Anyway, this year the, with Brexit, they're losing the European Union subsidies. So he has to replace 80,000 uh, 80, pounds of income from the subsidies. His idea to do that is to spend 500,000 pounds on <laughs> building, trying to build a restaurant. Yes. So it's just kind of like, all right. It, and it's more, this year's more about the bureaucracy of, of the, his local town than anything, than really yeah, the farming. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. The first season I thought was great. The second was like, all right, it's okay. It's but more contrived, I think. A little bit, yes. But there's shit else on Netflix, know, so still we still watched all the episodes. The, the farming hands are great. The main guys who do all the work, Caleb and the other guys, just show how much work goes really into it. And um, it's impressive. So, our Netflix. All right, moving on. Uh, starting seed plan. This is good stuff. So, pre- first of March, it's time to get out the uh, the books from past gardens and compare notes. And- Hot tip. Hot garden tip. <laughs> Take, Take notes. Notes. Get like so here at the bank and stuff. Everyone gives you free um, agenda. What a- do they call agendas? Agendas, or in here they call them like diaries or the calendar page calendars. Book. Where it's- yeah, it's like a calendar. It's called an agenda in okay. English. Anyway, um, use something like that, and each time you're planting, just flip to that page, mark the front of the book, two thousand whatever, and. Um, Go back to it. You'll See? never remember. Draw a diagram of your garden so you know where things are planted or t- if you take lots of photos. Write down times when you fertilized or exceptional weather or I just write Notes down. Notes at the end of the year at the back so you remember to tell you'll nev- yourself. You'll never remember them. How many, did I, how many did I plant? What was the name of the tomato that did well? You know, oh, didn't we have a hot, really hot June once they went in? So just take notes on those kind of things, and this way you can go back and remember. But we were going through and seeing when exactly, when do we really start the seeds, between what times, and we realized that because I'm Jason and I have... (laughs) uh, And because you have Gaji. And because I have Gaji. I, over the years, have perpetually moved the time back of starting the seeds couple weeks every year oh my gosh absolutely so last year i was starting seeds on the first of february <laughs> and it's just in our climate nothing really goes in until at the um may like end of april beginning of may uh things that we put in from the year before or from the the autumn that start growing like the peas and the and the fava beans and stuff but really anything that we're starting from seed over the winter now doesn't really go in till may April, end of April. So, and if you don't have these books, you don't quite realize that you little push by it ahead little. a month and a half. Yeah, and it's like, what are we doing? Or maybe is this why we're having problems? And or, uh, no, not or, but also for sure, 
this is why it drives us crazy to move seeds for a month and a half or, you know, a month longer than needed between the house. starting yeah. them, moving them to the kitchen by the fire, moving them outside with sun during the day, fin- moving them back in, finally moving them to the greenhouse, moving them back in at night. Like, we shuffle a shit ton of seeds. Pot, little pots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. we don't have a heated greenhouse. Anyway, um, the second part of writing the stuff in the book you need to do is actually go back and look at it. Because <laughs> yeah, just I, writing it down. Just it. writing it down isn't good enough because I would write it down every year and then not look at it going into the next year. So finally, we got the last three or four years together, looked at it, and you could see, holy shit. One, I started out at the correct time planting them, and over the last four years, I've moved it back by two weeks till here we are six eight weeks earlier than they really need to be in the ground yeah in the in the pot also things like oh why did we do so well with potatoes that year oh yeah it was covid and gaji wasn't allowed to be here (laughs) we planted them so we could do it properly gaji loves to bury potatoes real deep (laughs) potatoes don't really want to be buried that deep no so get a get a garden book Use it. Use it. Just, it. Don't Look even at it. have a fancy, crazy one. You don't need all these other things, but just having something where it's like this calendar book and you can go through, that's what's more important. So we're getting getting that into it. We have to figure out the if we're going to do a new system of starting our seeds, the little pod, the little um, cocoa core pods or how Jiffy we, Pops. Yeah, Jiffy Pods. Big, big garden seed starting talk. Everything got more expensive. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Everything got more expensive. Mm-hmm. But so when do you want to start the onions? Um, real quick on the getting more expensive. We got an email. When was it? Two weeks ago, a week ago about the, the woman who's like, I contacted you before COVID. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. uh, all of a, it's like, yeah, if, yeah. If you contacted us three, four years ago. Yeah. Everything. Prices have changed. Prices have changed, baby. Everywhere. Everywhere in Italy. We talked about that last podcast. I think. We? Yeah, yeah. We all definitely right. did. I'm just buying a bunch of stuff right now that I don't, nothing fun, just a bunch of crap that you don't want to spend money on, but you have to spend money on it to keep your business going. And you realize that, oh, when I bought that three years ago or two years ago, it was, you know, 30% cheaper than it's the same exact thing. So, well, also, Jason has the old school mentality of this computer should last 25 years. No, I don't. I don't think a computer should last 25 years. However, if you buy a premium product, it should last. You should get – you should – you're spending more money for something to last longer. I don't believe that an iPhone that costs fucking twelve to 1400 bucks is done after three years. That's ridiculous. Throw it away. Yeah. Just chuck it. Chuck it. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of buying stuff. Oh, speaking of buying stuff. First so, time in – when did we buy the old washing machine? When we, so all That's the all the elect- electrodomestici, all the like washing machine, dryer, uh, dishwasher, all that stuff that we bought when we first came, we probably bought them between 15, 12, 13 and 15 years ago. It's all. Okay. Shout out to Bosch. Is it for the, wa- the freaking um, yeah, dishwasher? Bosch, Bosch is good. We have put that that thing is a little tiny beast because we got that six months after we moved and no no, no. We, uh for after the first year remember we washed dishes by hand no, the whole for six months are you sure 100 percent. okay and so then it was like because it was like right after megan left or right around whatever last time i said that that the pigs don't have True. stripes i'm shut i'm shutting my mouth anyway 
that thing oh. we have put it through the ringer literally of just the amount of dishes and how many times we've run it and all of this and the big sizes and wine glasses and everything shoved in there hard water oh and yeah and especially the hard water exactly and um you've had to do a few things to clean it out here and there or whatever but all in all pretty solid for what we put it through but here we are 15 years later when we go to look at a new bosch why is everything connected to the goddamn internet? Exactly. Why do I need a dishwasher connect? <laughs> Why do I need a dishwasher that has Wi-Fi? I don't or Bluetooth. I have. I don't understand it. Any of the 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 higher the, the, and they'll call it like connect, iHome or I, yeah. I home professional or something, and it's like no no no. Uh, even if you have one of those like automated houses, do you really think on the way home you're going to whip out your phone and hit the start the dishwasher button? I, I don't understand why we need I don't know. Things. Or it dings you when it's done. I don't know. Just go check. Ted it's not a big deal. <laughs> that guy's got some pretty good ideas. Pretty <laughs> good ideas. So buying all this stuff, it's really funny when you go on to like the Bosch website and see what the latest models are. And then you go to find it from a retail reseller here in Italy. I've said this for years. And this is my favorite one. But it's always the yesterday's model. So not the one that they just came out with this year. It's always the last model. That you can really find around, and it's always at the new model's price. Yesterday's yesterday's models for tomorrow's prices. It for electronics. I don't know why in this country. Do they not sell enough of them? Is it just there's some weird electronics tax in Italy? I have no idea. If you go and look it up on in another country, it's like holy shit. Germany's twenty five percent cheaper than Italy across the board for all and this brand spanking new and the very new model. So I don't get. I I don't get. I've Stopped wondering why. I well, just, we're I just complain up, about it. We're stepping up on the washing machine. Woo, We've had eight one. kilos forever. Small one. Tiny. I still shove a ton of shit in there. I get probably more than eight kilos. Do you think anyone cares about hot dishwasher talk or washing machine talk? Oh yeah, it's country talk. This is if you want to move to Italy. This and or this is why if you've come to Italy and stayed somewhere and um no one's got a washer and dryer to use or where's the dryer no one's got a dryer like the cost of these things is so expensive well dryers chew up energy mhm so it's um but what was interesting though too is to recently have been back in the states and to see how gigantic the washing machine and dryers are there they look like commercial ones huge and here the t- biggest i can get is 12 kilos and that one's considered like monster semi pro and all of that and i'm just like this still is a fraction of the well, size look at the, the, also the refrigerators oh my god absolutely we love looking at real estate anywhere whether it's here in italy or somewhere back in the states and seeing the differences and the the monster <laughs> fridges in the in the kitchens in the states i know they look like you're feeding a, a professional kitchen <laughs> A lot of people just have, like, slightly oversized mini fridges here. <laughs> All right. This has been Hot Talk. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. Um, I, that's the end of our list. Do we have anything else to talk about? Well, I'm going to do a chapter from the book. I'm going to pick one of a winter, um, I think, one about the season of fatness or something, of just a uh, season of the pig, of just winter days. It getting... is the season of the pig. Exactly. Those winter days just getting fat and um, what's to come. So stick around. Are for you going to a... do that right now? 
Yeah, in just a minute. We'll push pause and I'll get ready. All right. Why don't you plug a bunch of crap so people know where to find us? Very good. Well, this was a short and sweet one. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, you're going to keep going. Though. I know. Okay. Um, But just so you know where to find us, latavolamarche.com, L-A-T-A-V-O-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E. And we have a couple spots left for the wood oven workshop, which is a blast. It's one of our favorite ones to do. Um, the meat week is coming together and waiting for the final okay from the butcher we're going to be working with on the dates. And the first truffle hunt is sold out. The second one in the beginning of Mar- um, November, there's still a few spots. Everything's getting starting to fill up for the fall. So if you're interested, come and check it out on the website. There's a few dates we've added in the summer for our three-night taste of La Marque. This is like our classic from when we first started. This has been just a hit. Three nights, Thursday to Sunday. Comfort, fun pizza night. Market trip, tour tasting. Um, we go to Fushiani's. We go up to the Hunter's Hideaway. Then that evening, go check out a festival or hang out for um, a little festive quiz night and um, some of my comedy. <laughs> Jesus. And um, an evening of stories. And then the next day, um, go drive around, check out the market, for example, in Urbino or Fano. And then that um, Saturday afternoon, dinner cooking class and then Sunday departure. So we've got a couple dates in August and July available for that as well. So stick around for the book. Very good. It's beautifully sleeting. Like No, big, now it's snowing. These yeah, are big huge snowflakes. Big huge wet They're snowflakes. They're starting to stick a little bit. It is not sticking. Um in, in my heart it is. Actually, there's it is melting <laughs> as soon as it hits the ground. All right, have a good one. Stick around for the book. All right. Thanks for sticking around for a little bit of the book. If you haven't tuned into the podcast in some time, I have a unfinished, unpublished, untitled book that I started um, after our first few years, about our first year. And um, sporadically, just like this podcast, I will read it from time to time and share some of these chapters. And um, so here we go. All right. This one I know I've done before, but it's perfect for winter, and I wish I had read it around Christmas time, but here we go. With the snow falling, it's perfect. Chapter 33, The Pasta Posse. The kitchen fireplace has been crackling since 7 a.m. and Jason since 5 a.m. As I stumbled into the kitchen for my morning cappuccino, ready to get to work, I'm greeted by the warmth of the fire, the smell of coffee, and a serenade by Jason in his best Nat King Cole impersonation. Well, good morning, my love. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. He reaches for my hand and brings me in. Always eager to sing along, I jump in without missing a beat. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. I signal for Jason to take it away. Doobie, doobie, doo. Something about turkey and mistletoe. <laughs> Already on his third coffee. He's raring to go and his mind is racing. Do you want a kappa wappa? This is code for a cappuccino made with whole milk and dark chocolate. You know I do. But seriously, how do you stop just before the chorus? It's the best part. I ask, totally perplexed. I add two spoonfuls of sugar to my strong capoapa, and I'm overtaken by the festive holiday mood. I can't help but finish the song loud enough for the whole empty house to hear. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. Sorry for the singing, guys. <laughs> it really does feel like the holidays. Mmm, I just got a whiff of something cinnamony baking in the oven. You'd think it was Christmas morning. 
up early because he was too excited to sleep. Jason is beaming today is very special. Rosanna, the doctor's wife, and her posse of pasta makers are visiting with Dr. Gaji to kneel, roll, and fill 50 eggs worth of pasta for Capoletti and Brodo, or little hats filled with meat and broth. Think tortellini, but smaller. No self-respecting Marcagiani could possibly be without this dish on Christmas Day. And since we are doing our best to become Italian and share these traditions, we too will proudly serve our homemade capoletti and brodo. Side note, this is the very first time we did this and we do it every year since, so I just love it. Okay, keep going. This is no impromptu party. This is generations in the making and weeks in the planning as we prepare to gather with our neighbors to make over 15 pounds of pasta for one another. We were more beyond honored to be hosting this pasta-making party, but with that comes the responsibility of making the impasto, or the filling for the capoletti, a mixture of chicken, pork, veal, cheese, lemon zest, and nutmeg. The pasta dough recipe never changes. 100 grams of flour to one egg. Simple. It's the impasto filling recipe that is shrouded in debate. We've sat for endless hours with Gaji and Rosanna and numerous other villagers discussing scrutinizing, at even times ridiculing each other's family recipes, all virtually identical to an outsider except for a pinch extra of nutmeg or one less gram of, of meat or one less egg. After Gaji single-handedly vetoed all recipes under consideration except for Rosanna's mother's, quote-unquote, because it's the way it should be. Jason took on the daunting task of recreating his mother-in-law's now legendary pasta filling. It must be made a day before you plan to use it, which is why it was no surprise that yesterday that Gaji showed up unannounced as per usual, swung open the back door, grunted something with something with a spent cigarette in his mouth, marched straight into the kitchen, rifled through the top drawer, found what he was looking for, beelined for the fridge, never saying a word when he passed me doing the dishes, scooped a heaping spoonful of impasto, savored it slowly, nodding his head, grunted again, and slipped out the back door. And with that, <laughs> I knew Jason had made it like mama, because Lord knows if it was off by even a half teaspoon of anything, he would have mentioned it. Jason is good. He's prepared the workstations. Four tables are flanking the fire, each with X amount of kilos of flour, a dozen eggs, and a rolling pin. As proper Italian etiquette dedicates, he has something for everyone to nosh on. Two crostatas with homemade fig jam, as well as his grandmother's apple cinnamon cake. The combination of cinnamon and crackling pine fills the kitchen as he opens the door, tempting me to sing Christmas carols all day long. Today, the teacher becomes the student yet again. Jason is eager to learn from this dying breed of born and raised Pio Bacese. Okay, side note. After reading this stuff again after all these years, it's hysterical how I romanticized crackling pine because any self-respecting farmer slash person who lives in the country would know that pine is a mess. It just crackles. It spits at you. It doesn't put off any heat at all. I just love how we had no idea what we were doing. All right, back to the story. Rosanna is wise and has enlisted the best pasta makers in town for this party. These are working country women, devout Catholics, cut from the same cloth, wearing the centuries of peasant life passed down to them in their thick calloused hands, creased faces, 
and short stature. As the ladies enter the side kitchen door, each and every one properly softly asks permiso, permission to enter before they dare take a step in. Of course you're permitted to enter. Get in here. It's cold outside. There's work to do. Upon entering, Rosanna mumbles something about Gaji going hunting with Tom the dog and that he'll probably be here shortly. She promptly begins formal introductions of the ladies with a cadence and volume reminiscent of a royal steward with a trumpet announcing guests to a fancy ball like in My Fair Lady or Cinderella. Maria, the wife of Severino, shouts Rosanna, and in comes the frizzied-haired sister of Franchino. I told you everyone is related here. She thrusts a potted plant as a gift into my hands, heads straight for the fire. Frankino may be the locally fit his her brother may be the locally famous polenta maker, but Maria is as well known in these parts for her paper thin pasta and rich sauces made to order by the women of town, too busy to roll out their own dough. Like her brother, Maria was born in our farmhouse over 60 years ago. You could see the memories return as she takes a deep, steady breath in. It's been almost 50 years since she was last inside these meter-thick walls. There's history here for her. She's the quietest of the bunch, but packs a punch when she does pipe up. The next is Lana, the wife of Maurizio, the woodworker, bearing a bottle of homemade vinegar from her bag. What a lovely, pungent gift. Before we can even begin to thank her, Rosanna breaks in, Ida, the wife of Olavio, and Pia, the wife of Manco. Rosanna's voice almost echoes off the stone. They have made you panettone, fatto a casa. She reiterates, noting in her tone how difficult the recipe must be. I can't wait to try it, and I'm not sure if I should hide the sweet bread for later or offer to share. I hand it off to Jason to decide. Ida flutters into the room, perpetually happy. She's so tiny and cute. She makes me smile every time I see her, and today is no different. A reverent silent hushes the room as Pia marches in. This is when the trumpets would sound, for sure, as she commands the room. Pia is also Fushiani, our landlord's cousin, so again, everyone is related. We've all met these women except for Maria before. However, I whisper grazie in Rosanna's ear, thankful for her family tree reintroduction as my mind was racing to place the name to the face. After a year, I'm certain we've met the entire village, but I just can't remember everyone's name or family tree. Kisses are bestowed upon everyone. Cheek Sorry, kisses are bestowed upon every cheek as we coup piacere mio. Oh no, the pleasure's mine. We're so happy to have you here today. We have much to learn. And with that, the formalities are done. Peeling off their heavy winter jackets and thick wool scarves, they roll up their sleeves, find a table, and begin cracking eggs before we can even offer a cafe. The rain makes the sky dark with a forecast of snow, but no one seems to mind. Because we've got work to do and the kitchen is a buzz. It's in almost complete unison. Jason and the pasta posse begin transforming flour and eggs into dough. They start by creating a well on the board with the flour, leaving plenty of room in the center. One by one, the eggs are cracked into the center of the well. With a fork, they begin scrambling the eggs while bringing in the flour from the well of the wall, from the wall of the well, until it's thick lumpy mess cleaning all the egg off the fork and within two seconds flat a few pushes turns and folds and a homogenous dough begins to form after two or three minutes of kneading what was just two simple raw ingredients becomes a shiny smooth golden yellow ball of beautiful dough that in an hour's time will be ready to be painstakingly rolled into pasta sheets what takes one of jason's cooking classes almost an hour these ladies have done in just minutes with years of experienced hands After the rigorous kneading, the dough needs to rest for about an hour. 
and so do we. A table is moved closer and cleared closer to the fire. We lay all the we lay the all important tablecloth. The crostata is cut and placed onto a serve, sterling silver pie tiers. The coffee pot hisses and gurgles on the stove, calling to tell us that it's ready to serve. Molinari, sambuca, and local grappa from Colesi are placed on the table for anyone looking for a little correzione. As the women come together around the table, the conversation grows in volume, led by Rosanna, and I feed the fire with another load of wood. Jason and I smile at one another. It doesn't matter if we only understand about 30% of the conversation. They slip in and out of local dialect. We love being part of it, listening to these local legends. Suddenly, the back door bursts open, and with a gust of cold December air, in barges Il Dottore with his Elmer Fudd hat sitting cockeyed on top of his head. Tom howls behind him, begging to be let in. He pushes the dog out the door, passes the, through the archway, and immediately his tortoiseshell glasses fog over as he makes his way into the toasty kitchen. The consummate ball buster starts in immediately. Oh, ragazzi! <laughs> I thought you were here to do work and make pasta. Seems to me there's just a bunch of ladies sitting around on the fire doing jack shit Anke Jason chimes in Pia nodding towards the sole male at the table as she perfectly peels an apple in one long curly strand come odetto like I said Gaji counters with a grin as he turns and opens the cabinet to retrieve himself a cup of coffee it's taken us some time but Jason and I have come to realize how hysterical and what a dry sense of humor the doctor has language barriers or not I think that Gaji and Rosan at this point understand Jason and I pretty well or at least they get our version of Italian he pours a shot glass of strong, dark coffee and tops it with a heavy hand of Molinari, settles into his chair and lights up. Did you kill anything, Jason quickly asks, changing the subject? Niente. Nothing, Gaji grumbles, stubbing out his cigarette and the now empty cup. It's been a rough season. The ladies all add their two cents, mentioning what, if any, their husbands had shot so far this year, causing a bit of competition amongst the wives. Rosanna mentions the freezer is full of la caccia and becaccia. It's full from the catch and of the woodcock, and Gaji smiles at his wife, thankful she's got his back. Inevitably, the conversation turns back to food, which means we understand now almost 70% of what's being said. Reminiscing about our favorite holiday dishes and what we've been serving at our table this year. There are fishes and meats, crostini and pasta, of course the capoletti. All eyes turn to Jason, curious to hear what sort of foreign dishes he'll be serving. Imagining hot dogs must be included somewhere. He begins with the antipasti and mentions chicken liver crostini. Anna asks what his recipe is, and yes, this is a test. <laughs> Jason perks up in his chair. Un po' di olio, a bit of olive oil, carrot, onion, celery, as he lists the ingredients he pantomimes chopping since he can't remember the word for in Italian. He looks at me for help, but I don't know either. Pia understands. Talia, she says. Jason shakes his head. Yes, and repeats it. See, Talia, fine, fine. Cut it small, small. And continues on. Yes, finely chopped. And liver, vinegar, eggs, but just the... uh, He struggles to find the word and goes with what he knows. Egg reds or yellow egg inside eggs only <laughs> he looks lost for a moment till maria at sea il torlo no nodding in agreement grazie he blushes and presses on determined vino bianco limone sale pepe see si, bravo the ladies agree jason continues to work his way down the menu mentioning he will serve two primos the capoletti and a lasagna bianco which is an exquisite dish made with wild porcini sa- sausage and you can use truffle oil if you want. 
The wise elders all nod their head in approval as if he's being graded. A plus, 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 plus. Jason continues on to Secundo and Dolce, and they give him a round of applause. <laughs> They're so happy. The entire menu is not only Italian, but local. They beam with pride, and so do I. See, why can't Severino cook like that, Maria laments. Va bene, says Gaggi in dialect with a long exhale as he stands. With that, we're back to work. Perched near the fire, I take in the scene for all its glory. Try not to be noticed as I snap a few photos, knowing I'd blog about this later tonight for sure. As they've done year after year, the Casalinga, or housewives, roll the pasta in big round sheets, paper thin in perfect rhythm, without notice, without much notice to their hands or tiring arms, more interested in the local gossip chirping about the room. The doctor struts around the kitchen like a cocky rooster in the field, circling around the ladies, checking their work, always with a quick quip or half-kidding critique. Mmm, looks a little thick on your edges. Attenzione, try to keep it nice and rectangular shape, please. He chomps on a cigarette, moves on to his next victim. He does to get a rise out of them and to entertain himself. It works every damn time. It's hysterical to watch because good old Gaji may believe he's an expert on everything, but he's never made pasta a day in his life. He readily admits this and maintains it doesn't make him any less of a critic because, I quote, I know how it should taste. We roar with laughter after the seemingly quiet Maria begins waving her rolling pin in the air, swatting towards the doctor, exclaiming, if he knows so much, he can make it. He grunts, heads for the door, and he reaches for another cigarette, mumbling something about how this is woman's work anyway. Now, this to me feels like the holidays, <laughs> not only because I have been quietly piped in, setting a little mood music, but we're all in the kitchen, surrounded with food, flipping each other shit just like we used to do in my family. I realize how much that tightly wound little package known as Datore Satimio Gaji is uncanny to my Henri Oki grandpa, Leroy Dahl. Poking fun and getting a rise. Sorry. I know it's so true, side note. I know it's so true. I say it all the time. I haven't read this in a while, even though I've already read it on the podcast before. But since my grandpa has passed away, so it's just kind of sweet. Anyway, sorry about that. (laughs) My grandpa's so ornery and hilarious. We named our dog after him. So I don't know why I'm getting choked up. Anyway. Poking fun, just trying to get a rise out of you and a good chuckle, a hardest nails SOB that shows his love in work projects, most likely while telling you you're doing it all wrong. Just as my grandpa teaching me to pour cement, because when is that not useful for a 12-year-old girl to know? <laughs> Gaji, Gaji bonds with me while planting potatoes, just the two of us sweating it out in the midday sun as Jason teaches a cooking class. He takes the time to dig the holes, to talk long and slow, imparting the wisdom of his years and the correct spacing for the onions. I don't even know why there's that side story in there, but I guess just (laughs) he reminds me of my grandpa. Doing projects, digging a hole just to fill fill it in later that night, telling you you're doing it wrong the whole time, but there's some sort of crazy love involved. Anyway, here we go. Pia continues rolling as Ida grabs a knife and begins cutting the pasta into one inch squares. I swear she barely even looks at the pasta as she glides the knife through the sheet in one fatal cut. We divide into two assembly line teams, half of us placing a pea-sized pinch of meat filling in the center of each square and the other folding and twisting them into shape, tossing them haphazardly onto the semolina-sprinkled board. Jason and I are to shadow the ladies until we're deemed able and capable to do it on our own. 
Rosanna takes me under her wing and we begin making the little balls of filling. Naturally, Jason follows Anna's lead and begins folding the pasta. Lana explains the art of twisting capoletti in two simple steps. Fold into a small triangle, sealing the edges with your fingertips. This is molto importante. And two, turn the triangle so the point faces your stomach, then pull the legs together so they kiss and pinch. It's not too difficult to learn, however, it's mindless repetition. You naturally want to put too much filling into the squares, making them impossible to close. And just be careful while twisting that you don't crush it into a blob. Anna notices Jason's frustration in getting the twist down and shows him again. On cue, Gaji walks in. Dear God, he has sausage fingers. He's just smushing it. Give it to me. I'll show you how it's done. And with a surgeon's accuracy, he delicately folds perfect capillity one after another. Jason and his sausage fingers are regaled to filling duty, and I move up the chain. <laughs> Quasi finito. Almost done, screams. Quasi finito. <laughs> That's how she sounds. Almost done, screams Rosanna from the back of the room as she counts each and every piece of capilletti expertly dividing them between us all looking up at the clock above the fireplace three hours have flown by but my what a production indeed it must be why they say capoletti are only made for those you love they say the smaller you make them the more you love the person satisfied with the job well done we admire our work pop a bottle of prosecco and share a hunk of pia's homemade panettone that's been warming by the fire making the bread soft enough to almost melt in your mouth jason and i will never forget this day with old school Italy sitting at our table, Kobe una volta, like once upon a time. All the knowledge that these six simple people have to share with us is overwhelming. What they have witnessed and experienced helps connect us to this country, land, and the stories of recipes, war, famine, child rearing, surviving and thriving in this valley for generations. These ladies are just as drawn to us as we are to them. Eager to learn, eager to teach, their own grandchildren are uninterested in continuing these traditional old world recipes, more interested in modern conveniences and texting with their friends. If it weren't for us, they would have no one to pass along their knowledge. It seems like we're all looking for that feeling of family. All right. Thank you so much for listening again. Sorry, sometimes I choke up, <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Alla prossima. Until next time. Ciao, ciao.